Amen. Thank you. So I um, got to spend the last few, uh, well, just the last day, about 24 hours with the dads of Trinity Church, many dads of Trinity Church at the dad kid camp out. And I got to tell you something. It was, we were, it was family. Uh, there's this, we need each other, right, first of all, without the wives in the house, right? <laughs> we're depending on each other to keep eye on our kids. But there is a beautiful sense at that campground of just saying, we are family. And, um, and I have good news. As of 8.30, when I departed last night, uh, no kids had been lost. And, and the only injury I saw was a Band-Aid on a finger because uh, a young boy cut his hand whittling. Okay, so no, no tragedies as of 8.30 last night. And uh, they're actually um, going to be worshiping together at 10 o'clock this morning and then packing up and coming home. But I got a pretty late night of sleep, right? I got down past midnight thanks to my wife giving me a haircut and taking care of me. She's like, you cannot preach looking like that. I'm like, okay, all right. Um, <clears throat> so, <laughs> yeah, thank you, Julie. Uh, so... So I use my phone as my alarm clock. It's my clock sitting on the little counter, little uh, nightstand. Thank you very much. That thing. And uh, you can see I, I didn't get very much sleep last night. <laughs> and usually uh, before I preach, I'm kind of watching the clock go as my mind's just, just spinning with the wonderful things. Uh, I'm excited to share in God's word with you all. And last night, all of a sudden, I just woke up and it was dark. Like the phone, the time wasn't on the phone. I was like, oh my gosh, my phone died. Now it was still dark, so I knew I hadn't missed the, the wake up. But uh, it was 4 o'clock, so I was like, wow, praise the Lord. I slept till 4 o'clock without noticing that. Um, but here's the problem. I, I had plugged it in. I don't remember hearing the little dink, you know. But it, it, I, in my mind, I had plugged the phone in. Um, it looked like it was plugged in. But the reality was, it was blank. It was dark. It had died. And I think that's what our passage is getting to today, is that we have a problem in the American church, and obviously it was a problem in the Middle Eastern church back when the Apostle John was writing his letter. And it's this, it's that people may think they're plugged in to Christ. We may look at people and we see that they're, they're plugged in, they're, they're present, they're talking the talk. They seem to be followers of Jesus. But John's going to give us some really strong tests to say, do, do you really know God? He's going to test us today because it's an important thing and it's it's not important for us to be kind of examining at one another, although we could help each other if it's done in love. But I think it really is the heart of John. He said early on is I'm writing these things to you so that you might have fellowship with us. Right? The heart of John is the heart that says, I want to be in a close relationship with you. And we have to get some things straight. You need to, you need to examine yourself to see if this is true of you. So the heart of John is for fellowship. And then he even says, 
He says, God is light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. So John wants us to actually have this fellowship with one another. And then he says, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So it's this beautiful picture, John's saying, of a close relationship. When I think of fellowship, the word in Greek is koinonia, right? That's what Trinity called our, our home groups for decades, koinonia groups. How many of you still call your group koinonia? All right, let me hear it, okay? So this word, Doug Baker in, in, introduced it. He, he said, this is more than just hanging out with people. This is a deep, close, committed connection. And he even said, and it has an element to it of sacrifice, of service, that connects us as brothers and sisters in Christ, but also that's the, the fellowship that connects us with God. So if you think of that, that is the goal of John in this. And the answer, he talks about this fellowship in a lot of different ways. He talks about God being light, and he says, are we walking in the light or are we walking in the darkness? That's this, that is an artistic picture of fellowship. He talks about being born from above, right? We're born into God's family. That's fellowship. He is going to talk about this, this awesome concept of abiding, right? Abiding in Christ that Jesus talked to his disciples about. He's going to talk about abiding in his word. That's fellowship. And today, he's going to talk about knowing God. He's going to talk about, he's going to say, here are the characteristics that show that you know God. And that's what we get to look at today. And so the question that the word is going to answer for us is how do we know that we truly know God? How do we know and the answer there is good news, that we can absolutely know that we know him. And it's so that we can have fellowship with God and with each other. So I'm going to play something for you. <clears throat> and uh, this is a scripture by an artist called Streetlights, because you know what? John is an artist, isn't he? Um, our speaker, James, uh, last week told us that. And the way that he writes is as an artist. So let me see if this works. This is 1 John 2, 1 through 17, I think. Just listen. First John 2. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. 
That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. A new commandment. Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims, I am living in the light, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates another brother or sister is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I am writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I am writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have spoken to us and God, that we get to spend some time just thinking about these, these very important question before us today, Lord. Our heart's desire is to know you. God, John himself said that fullness of joy, repeating Jesus, is in following you, abiding in you, having fellowship with you and with one another. And so, God, we pray that you would open our eyes to what you have for us to see and our ears to what you have for us to hear today, and that we would go from this place changed with a deeper understanding, a deeper love for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> so John asked this question and he starts with the gospel, doesn't he? And he addresses us and his readers as my dear children. My dear children. And Jesus addressed his disciples like this. It's a, there's, a, there's a warmth and a love expressed in that greeting. And, and it's probably important because John's going to say some pretty hard things, right? Right? And so he, he, the way he's starting represents his heart, which isn't harsh. It's this heart that's inviting people into fellowship with Christ and with him. <clears throat> but it's also, we just heard it, I, I let that play into the next section that's going to be preached on in a few weeks. But John is also addressing categories of people. 
And so when he says, my dear children, he is specifically thinking about those who are young in the faith. And he's going to start with where it all begins. It begins with the gospel. And so for those of you who are young in the faith, this is, is really important to listen to. It's important for all of us. But this understanding where he begins is critical. And it's what we call the gospel, the good news. John's telling us, start right here, telling us that his purpose is that we won't sin. Isn't that crazy? He just talked about if anyone sin, if we say we have no sin, we're liars, right? That's what he just said in, verse, in chapter 1. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And now he's going to say, but I'm writing this to you so that you won't sin. <clears throat> and so the first way that we can be sure that we know God, that we know Christ, is that we must rely on Jesus as our advocate. That's in your notes today. We must rely on Jesus as our advocate. The gospel is what restores and brings us into a close relationship with God by offering us forgiveness for our sins. And not only this, the gospel is what keeps us in that close relationship. And it's what helps us to grow closer as we and mature and grow up into that relationship with God. And so <clears throat> that's where John starts. And we know <clears throat> that sin destroys close relationships. It may not sever the relationship, but it, it destroys the closeness that we experience, doesn't it? If somebody sins against you, or if you sin against somebody, there's a, there's a broken closeness. There's broken trust. There needs to be reconciliation. And that's how it is with God, and that's how it is with one another. And so that's why this start is so important. So he says, my dear children, in verse 1, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, and we all do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Look how John addresses us as my dear children. But John tells us this. He says that we have an advocate if we sin. When we sin, we have an advocate. I'd like to think about that a little bit, and we're actually going to close our service today. Paul Plaxton's going to lead us in communion, and, and we're going to spend a little more time thinking about the significance of verses 1 and 2, of Christ as our advocate. But this is where it begins. This is, what, this is the beginning of a relationship with God. This is what gives us a relationship with one another, is that we have an advocate an advocate is one who stands beside, right, to plead our case. And we sang about it in the uh, song, my, my sins are nailed to the cross, right, when I stand condemned, right? Jesus, my righteousness, is, is my advocate. And that's why John says he is the righteous one. The word advocate in our 
in our culture, we would think of a lawyer, right? Representing someone before the judge to say, my client is innocent. And in our situation, we're innocent because Jesus took our penalty. So he says, it's on me. Let him go free. Let her go free. And that's what he gets at with this next concept of the sacrificial atonement. He paid the sacrifice for our sins, took our sins on him so that we might be forgiven and set free. In your Bible, that word, it may be propitiation. Um, the NIV goes, goes ahead and translates it for us, atoning sacrifice. And that's what Christ is for us. And that's a pointing to the cross. But when we think of our advocate, this, I was reading one commentator, and we like to, I like to think of the lawyer, right? That's someone you hire. You don't have a relationship with them. They're getting paid a lot of money, right, to try to plead your case for you. In the culture of the time, one commentator said, the concept of an advocate was always as a friend. This was not a professional person that stood there to plead for you. This was somebody who loved you and knew you and was going to stand up and vouch for you. That's the kind of advocate that we have in Christ. That is a beautiful picture of the gospel. <clears throat> Do you know that if you belong to Jesus, you have his favor. He sees you as a friend, even when you sin. He's not disappointed in you, like, oh, you've let me down again. You're such a loser. Sometimes that's our, our self-talk, right? But that's not what the, the gospel says. The gospel says that Jesus is our advocate and he advocates for us as a friend. So John points back to the cross, and he says, he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not just ours, but for the sins of the whole world. It's like that one act of Jesus on the cross not only forgave my sin, but he forgave every sin in the past, every sin that would ever be committed today, and every sin that would ever be committed in the future, all cared for, the sins of the whole world, all summed up, cared for by that atoning sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. This is the good news that we call the gospel. You are perfectly loved. You are fully forgiven, totally accepted in Jesus even when you sin, right? That's what, that's what John said. When you sin, you have an advocate. So I hope you know the liberation and the freedom and the joy that the gospel brings. It's, it's not only when you first proclaim Jesus as Lord, right? That first time you confess your sins and you realize, I believe that Jesus is my Savior, he died on the cross in my place. That's an amazing moment. But this 
this liberation, this freedom, this joy is meant to be experienced every day of our lives. So when our sin is exposed to the light, right, we come into the light, we don't need to go into hiding. We don't need to go into denial, right, because we're perfectly loved. We're perfectly forgiven already. We can rest assured Jesus is interceding for us as our advocate. I couldn't recommend more strongly <clears throat> the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Many of you have read that. It's about the heart of God. Here's a chapter, here's a quote from the chapter titled, The Advocate. Consider your own life. How do you think about Jesus' attitude toward that dark pocket of your life that only you know? The overdependence upon alcohol, the lost temper, time and again, the shady business about your finances, the inveterate people-pleasing that looks to others like niceness, but which you know to be the fear of man, the entrenched resentment that bursts out in behind-the-back accusations, gossip, slander, the habitual use of pornography. Who is Jesus in those moments of spiritual darkness. Not who is he once you conquer that sin, but who is he in the midst of it? The Apostle John says he stands up and defies all accusations, and I would add including your own. Satan had the first word, but Christ has the last, wrote Bunyan. Satan must be speechless after a plea of our advocate. And I love this part. Jesus is our paraclete. That's the Greek word for advocate. Our comforting defender. The one nearer than we know. And his heart is such that he stands and he speaks in our defense when we sin, not after we get over it. In that sense, his advocacy is itself our conquering of it. It's not up to us. It's on him. And that gives us freedom to deal with our sin and to do what we must do to get help. And so Jesus is our advocate. So the first way that we know we belong to God is this is true of us. John says it in the next section, my dear children, you know that your sins have been forgiven. If you know that, then you belong to God. If Christ is your advocate, you put your faith in him. So is Jesus your advocate? Have you received his offer of forgiveness for sins? It simply can be done just through prayer, even in your own heart, just saying, God, Jesus, I believe. I confess my sins. I believe you are faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I belong to you. When one turns to Jesus, the righteous one, and receives this sacrificial offer of forgiveness for sins, this is where we are born again. We take our first breath 
of air, of grace, of love, of belonging, of eternity. We are adopted into the family of God. And then that's where we begin to know God. And that's where John takes us. Okay, he's going to take us beyond this state of being little children. And he's going to push us towards maturity. <clears throat> so the second way that we know that we know him is if we obey his commands and we live like he lived. And this is the test that John's going to put out there for us. We obey his commands and we live like he lived. <clears throat> so he's pressing into how can we know that we're growing and we're maturing in our faith? How do, you, how do we know that we really know Jesus? That we're plugged in, and that the lights are on, right? We're not living in darkness anymore because we do sin sometimes, right? He said that already. He's writing this so that we won't sin. But how do we know? This is what he says. Let's pick up at verse 3. We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if someone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So the heart of a person who knows God is set on keeping his commandments. Now, like an artist, John is going, he's showing us this first sketch, right? This concept sketch. I owe this to Scott in my home group, all right? This is a great illustration. And, and we heard last week, John is an artist. He's going to keep coming back around. He's introducing this now for the first time. And so we're not going to get the whole picture, right? We're going to get the sketch. And then he's going to add color and life as we come back and we go through this book together. So here it is. He says, I'm sketching you what it looks like to live in Christ and to know him. And it looks like obedience. It looks like acknowledging that this is God's word, this is what Christ has said, and my heart wants to do it. But John draws a sharp line here. He's going to start just kind of with a defining moment, right? And he's going to say there are two possible situations, and he's going to start with the negative. He's going to say, if we say we know God, but don't keep his commands, we're a liar and the truth is not in us. We are, we are deceived. And he's going to even say it stronger as we keep coming back to this theme through 1 John. Right? But then he says the positive. Oh, but if we obey him, love for God is made complete in us. You guys, this is a huge concept that the love of God is made complete in us through our obedience. I imagine for the disciples, this had to blow their minds because John isn't making this up. This is what Jesus taught them. And so I, we need to go there because this is really, really significant what John's trying to get at here about our obedience 
and how it locks into our God's love being made complete in us. So we're going to take a look at the source, right? When did Jesus teach this to John? And it's in John chapter 14, verse 21. It's on the screens. So here's Jesus. He says this, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, Lord, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you have are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Do you see this incredible connection that Jesus is trying to tell his disciples of what it means? How do we represent, how do we show our love to God, he, to Jesus? He says, through your obedience. It's almost certain Jesus had this in mind when he says that our obedience is what completes our love for God. John uses this form of the Greek word telos, which means the goal, the goal, the aim, the end, right? And he uses the word, the verb form, and it's perfect passive. So it's perfect in the sense it's completed, and that's exactly what it means. It's perfected is one way that you might see it in your, in your Bible translated, his love is perfected in us, and it means something that has been fully developed. It's reached its intended result. And the passive form of this verb implies that something makes that happen. We don't make it happen, but when we start living in obedience of God's commandments, it makes his love perfect and complete in us each moment. Each moment that I obey Christ is a moment where God's love has been perfected in me. Isn't that beautiful? But that's not all. There's something here that this verse gets back to, and it's the very heart of the message John's trying to convey. It's a close relationship. So you've got this picture of God's love is perfect. And it's been poured into our lives through the cross, through this word propitiation, right? Through the atoning sacrifice that Christ made. We've been offered perfect love. We grasp it and we say, that's for me. It's not complete until it's offered back up to God. And that's offered through our obedience. So, I want you to ponder the significance of this statement. I'm just going to put it back on the screens. Actually, Lane is upstairs. Just read that. What do you see in the heart of Jesus, the heart of the Father in that for you?
you see fellowship? Do you see God, Son, saying we are going to come and we're going to make our house with you? We're going to dwell with you. We're going to live with you. And this is anyone, right? This is the answer to Judas' question. Is it just only us? And, G and Jesus is like, oh no, this is for anyone. This is for us. It's for you and it's for me. You know, right after that verse, Jesus says, and I'm going to send you an advocate, the helper, the Holy Spirit. It's the only other time the word advocate is used in the scriptures. So John uses it about Christ being our advocate, and Jesus uses it about the Holy Spirit being our helper. This is how we obey God's commands. We don't do it in our own strength. We do it through the very presence of God. Jesus says the helper will be with you, and he will be in you. So we are indwelt by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is a close relationship with God, and that's what he designed us for. <clears throat> Here's a different way. John ends saying, okay, if you didn't get the, that, I'm going to make it as plain as for you as can be. And this is what he says at the very end of, of this little section. He says, this is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Does anybody remember in the 1990s wearing these little bracelets, WWJD? Right? What would Jesus do? It was a campaign that started, according to Wikipedia, all right? I'm just off, putting that off. It started at a, in a youth group in Michigan. Isn't that cool? And this idea of what would Jesus do came from a book called In His Steps, written by a guy named Charles Sheldon in 1897. And so it's like this book resurfaced, and it reminded these young high schoolers that this is what, this is what it looks like to know God, is to walk in His steps, to walk like Jesus did. And it came from this. This is discipleship. This is what it means to know God. And so the way that we know God is that he's our advocate, but we also obey his commands and we live like he did. And he's going to end with a challenge. He's going to kind of nail us on a specific command. He's going to say, okay, now let's take the test right to your heart. All right? I'm not, it's not just all his commands. I'm just going to state one really important one to consider. And that's where he picks up with verse 7. Look at it with me. Dear friends, I'm, writing, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him. And in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. John addresses this time his friends, not as little children, right? But as my dear friends. 
Beloved is the word in Greek. John loves these people he's talking to, and he's going to say something really challenging, so he wants them to know, my spirit in this is one of love. <clears throat> what command is he referring to? He doesn't say it. He just says it's an old command, but no, it's a new one. He's kind of trying to pique our interest. What command is he, is he referring to? What do you think? Love one another. And I would say even if, if you want to say it's an old command, you could go all the way back to Deuteronomy, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then Jesus tagged on to it and love your neighbor as yourself, right? So now we've got our marching orders that all the commands Jesus said are summed up in these two. But then it's with his disciples in this intimate moment in the upper room where he says, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. There's the example, right? By this, he says, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This, he is elevated to the highest place. And John is going to come back to it over and over. It's the main theme of his book. This command is the most important one. <clears throat> Our guest speaker last week, Dr. James Pettifils from Biola, gave us this wonderful challenge at the end of the message. Do you remember? He said, I have this vision that I think the Lord wants for Trinity Church, and it's this. It's to be a church where we are known by our love for one another. Not our beautiful campus, which he praised a lot, and it is beautiful. Not our impact in the community, as important as that is. Not our strong marriages and families, as, as wonderful and important as that is. Not our kids' ministry or our youth group or our young adults. Not our commitment to the Word of God to missions. These are all beautiful parts of who we are and who we've been at Trinity Church. As important as those are, the most important thing Jesus said is that our love for one another is our main distinctive. And so those who are leaders among Trinity Church, and I think most of you in this room would say, yes, that needs to be the main thing, not only for Trinity Church, but according to Jesus, for his disciples, for his church on this earth. I love it that he says this truth is seen in him, in Christ, and it's seen in you. Right? He's encouraging them. Like, he's, he's like, you guys aren't missing it on this completely, right? We've seen the perfect love in Jesus, and he says, and it is seen in you. And he says, it's because the light is shining in the darkness, right? How does he, how does he exactly word it? Let me go back. <clears throat> he says, because the darkness is passing, the true light is already shining. It's like 
Because of Christ, the light has broken into the darkness. Through the cross of Jesus, through this atonement, this offer of forgiveness, the light has come. His example of love has touched our hearts. And he says, and it's, and it's, it's, it's happening in you. You guys are getting this. You're starting to get it. And that is a beautiful encouragement. This Christ-like love for one another. You guys, <clears throat> isn't this what we need to offer to the world? Lo the love of Christ needs to be seen taking effect in us and through us. It's what the world needs, and Jesus knew that it's by this that people are going to know that you're my disciples. This is your strongest witness that, that you're born again, that you know me, that you're living in the light. It's what's going to draw people to the light out of the darkness. But John's going to start, and he's just going to hammer us with a pretty strong warning. And that's where he goes next. Look at uh, verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. There's some good news. Back to the bad news. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. He's saying you are utterly lost if you don't get this right. And he's starting with the most extreme case of not loving one another, hating one another. I was thinking about hate. And I think most of the time, hate kind of rages in, in my heart first. Right? And, I'm, and it may start with, I hate that person said that or did that. But it may start kind of turmoil inside, turn into, I hate that person. I wish they were, uh, right? We want to get even. Jesus had a lot to say about that, didn't he? He said, don't hate your enemies. Love them. Pray for them. Bless them. Don't curse them. So Jesus had a lot to say about not hating your enemy. And so John's just right off the bat going after people who are just way out of line. And he's calling them back. He says, you are utterly lost. You're not in the light. And the Spirit of God hopefully will convict and bring people back to that place of confession. If that's true of you, there are some really harsh things that people can do that can cause us to hate, cause us to want to get even, cause us want to harm them. And Jesus and John says, if this is a brother or sister in Christ, especially a fellow believer, you cannot hate. We're going to hear a lot more about this, about loving one another. John is going to keep lowering the bar 
to where we're all guilty, so you may feel like you're off the hook. I don't hate anybody. <laughs> and that's my heart, right? I, I want to love people. And that's the whole point of this, is that our hearts want to obey God's command and represent his love. But if we're struggling with hate, what in the world do we do? And what I do is I start praying for that person because that's one of the Lord's commands. If I'm having a hard time and I'm feeling bad thoughts about somebody, I'm going to put them on my prayer list. And, and this is for especially people in the church, especially people in our own families. This is where it hurts the most, right? I pray and I ask God and I bless Pray a blessing for those people. And you know what? God usually, I would say, always changes my heart when I start praying for somebody. So, I love this positive statement. There's nothing in them to make them stumble. When we're loving one another, the idea of stumbling is you're not, you're not intentionally going to hurt somebody. Right? There's nothing in us that's going to make somebody trip and fall and get hurt because we're showing love. Hate hurts, love heals and restores and saves. So John puts this test before you. If you obey his commands, you, especially we need to obey his command to love one another. And you guys, he's going to paint this picture and it's going to get colorful and beautiful through this book as we continue to study. I think the weight of the passage today is simply saying, do you know that you know Jesus? Do you know that your sins are forgiven, that he's your advocate? Have you internalized and received that gift of forgiveness? That's the first step. And then the second step is, do you know that you belong to Jesus because your heart is seeking to do what he says, to obey his commands. It's the way that you love him. It's what completes his love in you, and especially that command to love one another. So if you feel like you're off the hook today, come back. <laughs> He's going to get to the point where he just says some pretty easy things like, okay, I'm not going to give it away. All right. Um, I want to just close, and then Paul Plaxton is going to lead us in communion, because the real reality is, this is talking about the posture of our life, the desire of our life is for the Lord, right, that we're seeking to live a life like Jesus did, and the reality is, I'm going to fall short, I'm going to sin, I'm going to sin against you, and John started off with what we confess our sin. He's faithful. He's just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that we can continually walk in the light. And when we're walking in the light, darkness is going to be exposed. But we don't need to fear. We don't need to hide. We need to deal with it. Christ already dealt with it. We just need to bring it to him and confess. So here's the closing I'm going to, I had to do it. I had to look ahead, all right? Because I want to give you this beautiful picture in color of how everything Paul, everything John is talking about today 
relates, right? He's artistic and he's going here and here and here. Listen carefully. This is how everything comes together at the end of the book. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, beloved, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us.